Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Russia with Love is now 60 years old. And if ever a film could be said to have stood the test of time, the second Bond film is it. So sit back as we wax lyrical about this amazing film, starting with a look at the allies, particularly Kerim Bey. When we did our best allies thing, the you know, we do a poll on Twitter and everything, Kerim Bey won that quite easily. Goldfinger is the one, often people say, that really moulded everything together. But goodness me, there's such progression from Dr. Nota from Rush with Love with the building blocks of Bond. And yes, Quarrel's a great character, but Kerim Bay, it's just, that that's what we want in a Bond film, isn't it? A, a charming ally. He almost makes Bond look like a fairly normal guy. You know, an, un, an unremarkable person, because this guy is so like Columbo, these characters that make Bond look like a bit more normal and mm. lovely, perhaps, than than he actually is. He's absolutely superb. I mean, Quarrel, Quarrel's a brilliant ally in, in Doctor No. What they both do is they they're people who are local to the place that Bond um is kind of inhabiting briefly and you know he's is coming to the, coming into a different world but really with Karim Bay he opens up this whole other world that's going on and he you know he fleshes fleshes it out and he knows all the key players Bond doesn't know all you know who um Krilenko or or whoever is but there're all these there're all these people these mysterious figures that that Karim Bay is is aware of, and he's operating and almost, you know, trying to run something in this world that clearly exists outside of Bond. Bond is just dropped into it. And again, I think that's something that we've discussed that it would be nice to have a bit more of that in Bond these days, rather than things sort of revolving around him so much. And yeah, Karim Bay, he's so he's so relaxed, he's so charming, charming. He, he is charming and he oozes charisma, yeah, in a way that that almost Bond isn't quite up to his level in terms of, you know, when Corinne Bay walks into a room, people, you know, people will notice him and and feel something. Perhaps he is more immediately likable than Bond. When we get to that train scene and 
he is found dead. That's quite shocking. And that's something that has stayed with me. And I remember that as a kid and I found it quite, quite scary. Perhaps the fact that you don't see it makes it a bit scarier somehow. And the way that it's reported and everything is reported to Bond and he comes in and he finds them both and, you know, they must have killed each other. And yeah, I think that's, that is quite scary. And, you know, that being, that being Grant who's done it again, it's another thing which adds to this, to Bond and Grant having to come face to face. And yeah, so in terms of Karim Bay, wonderful character, wonderful performance, you know, especially when, when he was really suffering physically at the time. And he's left an incredible legacy on in the Bond franchise. And again, you know, if Grant is, is the, the henchman or the physical villain that every other villain has to, you know, try and reach the, those heights, Karim Bey is, is the ally who every other, you know, male ally has to, has to try and emulate. Okay, so obviously throughout the series, we've got Felix Leiter. And of course, he always receives the spotlight or the credit and the acclaim as being Bond's greatest ally, which I'm not going to dispute. But in terms of one-off appearances and allies, yeah, uh, Karim is definitely up there for me. It, very much um, with Draco as well. Yeah. That's Those two actually, I, I share similar sentiments towards them. I think the dynamic between Karim and Bond, though, is... It's a beautiful watch, and from the from the second they meet each other, you can tell that Kerim is a well versed, well travelled, well educated man. You know, this here is an old friend of mine, and it tells me something smells from from that from from that little throwaway comment. You just know that everything about Kerim is worldly and well versed, and you know we know nothing about him, but yet we know everything about him in that split second, and just his progression throughout the film. It's lovely. It's lovely to watch, actually. And there's that scene when at the gypsy camp when the belly dancer is sort of flirting with Bond. And just that little smile he gives yeah. as, as as Bond is all, almost being seduced. I think is lovely. Yeah, especially when we get to the train sequence as well. You know, I think what makes you feel his death more than anything from a plot perspective is obviously when you compare his character with his the actor's story. I mean, obviously, we as we all know, he was very ill by that point and. He was effectively dying as that film was being made and being shot. And I think, you know, when I think it adds an extra layer to it, really, when we lose Kerim, we have lost Pedro as well. It, it hits harder, I would say. But I, I've always loved Pedro in that role. I always thought he was fantastic. And again, he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. Obviously, the diehard Bond fans will recognize yeah. performance and the texture and layers to that character. But Again, when you think of allies to Bond, everyone outside of the community seems to think, or oh, always will naturally go to Felix Leiter. But no, he was a, he was a cracking character, and it's just a shame we couldn't get him back for another. Real shame. Maybe they would have done because I'm sure audiences would love his performance. It's so at odds with the actor's health that he's so full of life in the film. The performance is so full of life. He's effectively M's equivalent, and it it's quite nice to see. Well, this guy's totally different to M. You know, Bond's relationship with M is quite, goodness me, total authority, not much humour, trust, of course. But with Kerry Bay, he's, you know, he's away from home, so to speak. This guy's a bit of a laddo. I can have, I can have fun with him. And he's, like, encouraging the behaviour at the gypsy camp. <laughs> Very good set piece, in fact. I know he's at Pinewood, but mm -hmm. that brings out the best in uh, Kerry Bay as well. Yeah, I think that you're saying before, like that that he is pretty much the ultimate kind of you know ally in terms of 
the the way that you set up that he is this you know large in life character you know that has genuine or extended family network of people who work for you know work with him bit of a sleaze which obviously comes to know quite well and and that's what is what makes his his death have more of an impact is the the, the fact that he is incredibly likable that he is you know connected and that, that you know that scene where you know bond hands over the, the i think the wallet and the, and, and the, the cigarette filter to to one of his sons yeah university comments you know it, it it sort of you know adds to you know it's it's the john glenn world of you know setting up you know really likable characters and then killing them off for the impact um but yeah i think that the, the gypsy camp scene is you know it, it is great because it is kind of like it shows that he may be in the cream maybe kind of like this sophisticated you know kind of like leader he does like to get kind of down and dirty and will go out into the outskirts and sit with the gypsies and and and, and enjoy their culture and enjoy that world and 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 and, and i like to say that for, for him the the scenes like particularly you know obviously where we we shoot forgive me i can't remember his name but he, he shoots the, the the guy you know in the back and he's like i have to pull the trigger and again it's like 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 he it just makes him such a kind of yeah just just a likable and well-rounded character you know the, the fact that he shows off that he's got the you know the um the the periscope you know that yeah. leads to the other room and the, you know he's sort of taking him under through the you know bolting him underneath you know, it's just he's such a brilliant character, so lovable. His death is a is a huge impact on 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 the film and the plot and Bond to a certain extent. And is 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 absolutely you couldn't have this film without him. You know, I think he's he's, he's such a he's such a large in life character, but also completely believable and and lovable. And I, like I say, I think he is the standard. Like I say, like Grant sets in terms of allies or henchmen. Because his death, you don't see. Mm-hmm. Compared to some of the other films, you like Saunders again, for instance. You like, oh gosh, when you're watching it, heck, we've got that scene to come. But when I when I watch from Russia with Love, I almost forget that he dies. Mm. So when you do see him, it's, oh, it's it's awful. It almost has a bigger impact. Some of those early scenes with him in this underground thing with that gondola and it's, it is yeah, the, sh- thing, like it's saying, the scenes you know, they share, isn't it? It's the scenes yeah. that they share that are really special. Yeah, navigating those underground tunnels on the boat. When they assassinate Kurilenko together, you know, they collaborate on that. Karen Bay introduces him to people, to women, to his wife, you know, all, all these things. And you get, it's that, the other thing I like in an ally is where you get the impression that they're locally known, a bit like Columbo, you know, that they've got a reputation, they're known, and Bond gets in with them, you know. This person that clearly has a reputation about the city or about the country has chosen to trust Bond and has chosen to let Bond in. And that that creates a bit of the bond, which is, sorry, you know, the friendship. That really enhances it. Yeah, they share brilliant scenes, great chemistry, their dialogue. And I think you can even see Bond, Connery, both literally and metaphorically looks up to him. And if you, there are a few scenes where, you know, Bond does look to Karen Bay for inspiration. He does look to Karen Bay to wonder what he's thinking. And he takes his advice on a few things, uh, which is brilliant. I think, yeah, you know what Chris Chris mentioned there, sort of the John Glenn thing. It's a real thing, you know, with it's such a good inner story. For you, if if you know that the ally is going to die, it's really important that you do feel something so that 
you can associate your feelings with how Bond's feeling. And John Glenn did it with every one of his films. But you've mentioned, I think you mentioned Saunders, with the exception of Saunders and maybe Tibbet, possibly, John Glenn does seem to go along those lines that Math talks about, where actually you don't see it. Yeah. So like VJ, you don't see it. Luigi, you don't see it. Sharky, you don't see it. It's, you know, it's, it's, oh no, you just, you, you, you see their body. Like, oh no. But I think to have an ally is brilliant. I suppose you can't always do it, but uh, when an ally dies, that's the changing gear on the on the train. That's when momentum kicks in, and that's when you think, right, something needs to be done here. <laughs> brilliant character, and again, brilliant for the story, brilliant for the plot. It's not he's it, not just a character who's thrown in for you know a famous actor with a cameo that serves no real purpose. He's a character who's written for the story and. Who keeps the keeps the story moving, even though he's not in the full film and dies prematurely, is still in really really important. Hello, really 007. It's Scott from the Spy Hards podcast, sending you in a clip because I heard that you were talking about my favourite Sean Connery James Bond film from Russia with love. Now I could wax poetically for the next hour about the fantastic things that film does about how successful it is as a spy film and that's what we look at here every week on spy hearts but i'll limit it down to two because i don't want to take up too much of your time but luckily both are quite connected the first is the train the train sequence and the train itself the orient express it has a story history in real life spy work it was used to transport spies all across europe all around the time ian fleming was writing these books and before but also a storied history in spy movies going back to 1948 sleeping car to trieste all the way through to most recently with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. The final act in that film takes place on the Orient Express, so people are still using it for spy work apparently. But the main thing I wanted to shout out, the main bit of uh, love I wanted to throw out from Russia with love is Robert Shaw's Red Grant. It's a really bold thing they did by, in the second film as well, you've got to think about it, it's the second Bond film to say there is someone out there that is as formidable as James Bond, and that is Red Grant. And on a different day, Red Grant would have won that fight in that cabin. And, you know, it's something they've gone and tried to copy since, going all the way up to Spectre most recently. You tried to have that sort of Hinks and, and Bond fight on the train. Uh, not quite as successful, I would say, but I appreciate the attempt nonetheless. But, you know, Red Grant himself, such a formidable foe, all the way back from the start, and Rosa Clev is punching him in the stomach you know he's not someone to be messed with. And then I love Bond doing some spy work and detecting him, some spy, some trade craft there, trying to figure out what's going on. He's picking up on the clues on the train, you know, the, the, the wine, his terminology to Bond, and then eventually figures out the case and they have that fantastic fight sequence in the cabin in the train. And I think it's something that Bond films have tried to emulate again since I mentioned the Hinks fight, but it's, it's come up quite a few times. And I think it's something that will never really be duplicated or simulated successfully. I think it's a very tense and gritty and visceral fight. And you can feel the piss and the vinegar in that fight. They both want to physically destroy one another. And it's only, you know, finally and wonderfully Bond wins. And, uh, you know, we get to have the rest of the film and subsequently another 25 films after that. But yeah, I just wanted to shout out my love for both The Train and Red Grant. I adore this film. I'm glad you guys are celebrating it. Until next time, I'll see you around.
important ally not in terms of screen time but the beginning of an era is Desmond Llewellyn as as Q I don't of a proper more fleshed out guy even though I don't know whether it was intended that he would be in every film at this stage because there's even a shot of you just see him waiting in the background don't you like when Bond comes through Moneypenny's office into M's office he's like that he's not that significant at this stage but of course it's the gadgets that are introduced you could argue this is the best gadget Partly because it's all-encompassing. Well, it's a very nasty Christmas present, isn't it? So <laughs> I think that it's like worth, almost worth the wait. You know, obviously, Doctor No, you don't, you know, there are, he does have equipment, so to speak. But I think that, that is, you know, from Wish With Love, to be given this, yeah, this, this, this sort of boy's adventure kit of you know a bat you know this attache case it's got you know the the, the gold and it's got a dagger in it it's got you know and you have to turn the you know the the, the buttons it's just absolutely you can't ask for anything better and also to see it play out it also doesn't feel forced you know it doesn't there, there aren't moments just like oh this is clearly this is the moment when he's going to use yeah. that gadget which later on in the series there are you know to be fair there are moments where it is like that but for him to have such, and also such a classy gadget, an attaché briefcase, is just, you know, like the pinnacle. It comes in handy, you know, like obviously like the sniper's rifle. Of course he would need a sniper's rifle. He's a spy, you know, he's an assassin, you know, he's all the, all those things. And, it, you know, he gets to use it a couple of times. The introduction of the character, again, no nonsense, just, which is Q's just approach, isn't it? It's like, here you are, and this is that. And, the, you know, like, okay, show me, you know, like even the fact that they take the time to, to, to get Bond to actually, you know, if you turn it this way, it's like show me <laughs> like he doesn't trust it <laughs> like you do you know you turn him this way you know and it click and even the sound effect you know and it opening it up and you know put the put the uh the, the talcum powder you know kind of uh here and that absolutely love it he's, he's such a brilliant and, and and again like he's such a great he's such a great introduction to a character because like i say it's no nonsense and he ends up becoming you know obviously we see in the next film where the, the fact that bond rolls his eyes is like oh you know and then it's like oh not you again you know there's this like oh you know he's such a pain having to deal with q which is a brilliant that kind of builds up that kind of that you know that that relationship which obviously the pinnacle being license to kill is just is just brilliantly put together. But yeah, I think I think he's he's you can't have the series without him. I think that 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 obviously as there is, you know, the gadgets become more and more important. And you know, in the in the films, the gadgets, the cars, the what you know, the vehicles and stuff. You can't. There's no one else who can introduce it. There's no one else who can say who's been there to say this is how this works and. You know, here's the instruction manual, and it's like this thick, and it's you know all that. I absolutely love it. What a brilliant character, and and played. You know, he is part of the furniture, isn't he? You know, he is just a brilliant character, and you know, and and Desmond played it. You couldn't ask it. I don't think anyone. I don't. It's, it's difficult because he is. He's just you know. You think of Q, and he obviously we've had actors who've played you know it, and 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 brought different things to it, but Desmond Llewellyn is Q. And 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 that, that that's the end of it for me. I think I'm right. He's in more Bond films than anyone else in terms of the character. You wouldn't have known that based on the books because he's fairly insignificant. This is where cinema Bond takes it up a level 
particularly in golfing, in the next film. I mean, obviously, as we all know, Bond fans will be aware that he's not the first actor to portray Q. The first was Richard Burton's brother. When he was introduced, he was introduced as Major Boothroyd, but in this one, he's not referred to as Major Boothroyd or to Q. M just simply mentions all Q branch has been this smart piece of luggage together for us. And what I like about that scene is the fact that M makes it very clear we are issuing this to all double O personnel, not just to Bond, which, of course, then comes into its own later on the train when he has to rely on the other attaché case that's going. Like you say, it's, it's the archetypal piece of gadgetry, a wonderful, nasty little Christmas present. It's... It's, it's what every boy would want under the Christmas tree, isn't it, really? And what I love about that whole piece of equipment as a gadget is no item goes to waste. He utilises absolutely everything. And I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but when he's opening, as Chris says, he doesn't quite trust Bond with this. And when Bond is opening it, there's almost a sense of trepidation when it's like, oh, you know, you, you, my heart's in my mouth somewhere. Yeah. Please, please, please work. <laughs> but um, what can you say about Desmond? I mean, he is the archetypal Q, as wonderful and as much as I love Ben Whishaw as an actor, Q is is Desmond, and Desmond is Q. Always has been, always will be, and quite rightly said, um, the actor who's been in more Bond films than anybody else. And that's just testament, I think, not just to the character, but to the who Desmond was as a man. I mean, I never met him myself, but from people who have, he was just as lovely off screen as he appears on screen because early on he's quite frosty especially with bond but then he warms to bond and i think that's lovely and especially in license to kill i mean that's just the dynamic between the two you know is um is is really superb it's a wonderful scene to watch all the scenes that they're in actually but just don't use the flash (laughs) but you might get that one (laughs) we watched goldfinger together recently and and you know as as kind of been said that establishes that relation you know the dynamic between the two of them this is you know pretty key to have to have a gadget such as this so iconic that is absolutely key to bond uh saving his own life and being able to complete the mission being given to him in in m's office in a in a very crisp scene there and and to have desmond llewellyn's cue is just it's so again you know, perhaps not to the same level as as some of the other key elements that we often talk about that that needed to come together. But he's he's had such a significant impact on the uh, on the franchise. Incredibly um, well known outside of Bond fans. It's not just Bond fans who know of Q and gadgets. And in fact, often um, these similar films or TV shows or whatever almost have a Q character and and when people are reviewing it or talking about it, we'll often refer to that character as like, you know, like a Q-type character. You know, I, I don't think we can underestimate the the impact of of Desmond Llewellyn on that because it's only because he's he's so likeable and, like I say, that they were able to develop that dynamic, but that he, he has great chemistry with all the Bond actors that he's, uh, he's with, which is, you know, something you can't buy that. That's not, you know, you can't force it. It has to happen. And obviously so much of that comes from Desmond Llewellyn. So this is the start, you know, quite a, a low-key start for him, but of, of something really special. The thing that audiences grow and grew to love with Q is it's two things, isn't it? It's the gadget, his relationship with Bond, 
the the strength of this introduction to Desmond Llewellyn is that he introduces a really amazing gadget. You know, that helps so that when Goldfinger comes along and you see Desmond Llewellyn, you think, ah, oh, what's the next cool thing? So Desmond Llewellyn is helped by this brilliant gadget. That's helped introduce him significantly. But at the same time, it's such a good decision for the franchise. You know, in Q Branch or whenever he's given the gadget, even if it's in M's office, even though a little bit of the emphasis is on Q demonstrating how the gadget works, which is a little bit, oh, wow, a wow moment, which is great. Such a good decision, this idea that the actual um, chemistry between the characters is like Kieran's talked about that idea of <laughs> Q handing a gadget over to Bond. So many of the Q scenes are funny because it's that Q, you know, trusting Bond with these gadgets or not being able to quite trust, <laughs> like whatever the gadget is, even throughout the films, it's that it's not necessarily about the intricacies of the gadget, but it's Q's, you know, nervous <laughs> when Bond comes yeah, yeah. in, which is such a funny dynamic. I think it makes you realize that gadgets don't always need to be big and electric. But they need to. It's it's the fact that they're concealed, and it's the the way their gadgets are hidden from sight and hidden from the enemy. That's what makes them impressive. Because you're building these relationships, aren't you? Not just with Q, but Money Penny and M. You know, yeah. you might you might have thought, well, it might not be the same boss for this film. That you you wouldn't have thought necessarily that his sec- M secretary would be in the film, would you? These are just building blocks, and because of the success of the relationship with Lois Maxwell in the first film. I mean, the audience would be like, silly not to want more of that. And we actually get that great interaction where there's that insight into M in Japan, you know, that sort of where Moneypenny's finding that quite interesting. She wants to hear more. And that builds not only the relationship between Bond and Moneypenny, but M and Moneypenny as well. So it's great to have both of them back. And it's building, you know, building those characters, building the relationships, building the dynamics. Yeah, there is that... um, Again, you know, it is this one where it's talked about, you know, well, there was that night in Tokyo or, you know, or that that gets mentioned, doesn't it? Which is quite, it is quite strange and almost seemingly not out of place, but just seems to be a little bit weird. But it's crucial that these, that these things were in place and that these people were cast. Again, you know, when looking forward in the franchise, you know, they've, they've always been spot on with the casting of, of lots of these parts that's, you know, maybe all of them, but I don't know how well known Bernard Lee was at the time. I'm sure he'd been in loads of films and I know he's in the third man and everything, but you, we don't have to go for someone at quite the same level as Ray Fiennes. You know, you can have a, a good television actor like Judy Dench was, um, you know, Shakespearean actor as well. I know that, but, and then make that they can make the role their own. And yeah, you know, they're so fundamental to the series and, and having had you know Doctor No to now build on those things in this in this film is is crucial. Bernard Lee, like Sean Connery and Lois Maxwell as well, they they are the archetypal portrayals of those characters. I mean, Samantha Bond was brilliant in her own right. Even Caroline Bliss, I I like her portrayal of of Monty Penny. She's very playful, um, and that's really quite endearing. But Lois will always be Monty Penny. When you think of Monty Penny, who do you think of? And that's, for me, how you establish who the definitive actor who's portrayed that part essentially is. I will always think of Bernard Lee as much as I love Robert Brown and, of course, Judy Dench. And again, it's I, I think the testament to this franchise, the longevity, is the champagne casting that was not just Connery, 
and the Bond girls and the villains, but the supporting cast as well. That there's an old saying in the biz, you know, there's no small parts, only small actors. And if you compare, obviously, Connery's screen time to that of Bernard Lee's, one massively outweighs the other. But they are just as integral as each other. And for me, like I say, that that was absolutely critical. And I don't think the films would probably be what they are today if that supporting cast hadn't have been as strong. There's something missing today with the casting. Is that we don't cast character actors anymore. We just cast names. And I think that yeah, it is great to have, that Matt said, like to have a Ray Fiennes or a, you know, a Judy Dench. But I want the right actor for that role. I want someone to be memorable and for them to sort of create something. I think, it's, you know, like those jobbing actors that you had during the 60s and 70s. No, it's, you know, it's completely different now. But but there were it was such a, a, a wide pool of, you know, working class actors, you know, uh, uh, who could bring something to these to these roles. And I think it's um, it, it is a little bit sad that you go for the names now for those roles as opposed to going, well, he's got an interesting face. And I reckon he would be a good fit for that role. Or she's she's got something about her. But we do fall back into, well, she was in that last film that was quite successful. Let's, so let's get her in it. But yeah, uh, Bernard Lee is just yeah just absolutely amazing you know he's just that i love just how grumpy he is but how he is also there's a genuine admiration and i i feel like you know you know maybe love for 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 bond there is there is there is a bond there that there is there is something that they've been through together and i love those little throwaway moments of you know back in you know here and there and this is oh let's turn that off you know money penny you know i love that the fact that that off screen, Bond has been through something with M, and that's all we need to know. We don't need a flashback. We don't need something scripted. It's just a line, and that it just flushes it out. And his embarrass, his embarrassment, his, you know, the the, the fact that he is, you know, um, put on the spot says so much. You don't need. That's all it is. That you know exactly what went on there. You know, <laughs> but I, I think that yeah, Bernard Lee and, and Lois Maxwell just. They are again like you, you can't, you know, they were the greatest, you know, so you know, such an impact that they had, and uh, yeah, I think that that, um, yeah, like I say, that as much as you know, other actors have played those parts and they are really kind of memorable, and I, I love them for that, for the for that, they are the original, you know, almost like going back to you know, you know, you can argue who's the best Bond, who's your favorite Bond, well. Connery was the original, so he'll always be a special place in your heart, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Moving forward, I would love to see more kind of interesting casting for those roles. But you're not saying that Judy Dench and Ray Fiennes are wildly miscast. Just I'm saying that they're terrible. I think they're awful <laughs> in those roles. No, of course not. I just think that they're. Um, I, yeah, and I, I love that the fact that the you know, like seeing Judy Dench in Goldeneye was was like this is this is brilliant. I look, this is like the shot in the arm. This was. Mm. added you know was perfect casting for that time you know that the speech that she gives bond is absolutely brilliant for that time i think you know i have, I have no problem casting you know a woman as m in in the future it just has to be someone who is interesting you know and and it is obviously now with you know that 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 bond character that bond actor not that bond <laughs> that bond actor hasn't died that actually that character has died with that bond actor it's a it's a clean sheet, isn't it? Basically, so you can't have you can't bring as much as we'd love to see Julie Dench do more. We can't have that, mm. or we can't have you know Ray Fiennes do that anymore. 
because of uh, 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 you know the circumstances of that character. But yeah, they brought every, every every one of them brought something interesting to it. It's just that um, I would just like to see. Let's move away from just getting a name for the sake of it. Let's have some more interesting characters. If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Look us up at Really 007 Pod. If you do not, you will be shot! I think it's obscene, actually, how cool he is in this film um, and how much he sets a template for everything that possibly does or should go on from this point. Um, he, this is the point where like, so this this is kind of obviously like, as we've discussed, it's a downbeat movie for for Bond um, in terms of like, it's kind of, it's smaller scale. Obviously the ramifications of uh, the plot are massive, but it, this all lives and dies on the fact that Sean Connery is the absolute don in this film. <laughs> let's not let's not play games here. He is next level incredible in this film, and I actually think like more than that. Like I think it's downplayed in wider cinema understanding how incredible Sean is in From Russia with Love. I really do think it is because I think that it, it sets such a standard for Bond and the people that play James Bond that. This is it, boys. This is what you got to live up to. Obviously, the main fight with Grant is incredible, but the build-up to it, where he's <laughs> vulnerable, isn't he? He's 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 worried that this guy could beat him. It's just incredible filmmaking, I think. Actually, you know, it's just like more than anything else. I just think this is like top-tier filmmaking. Everything about it, the way he moves, like the way he holds his gun in the, you know, it's sort of close to his chest, isn't it? And these sort of idiosyncrasies that you. Maybe not notice at first viewing, but he is creating a character here. Yeah, and I, I think even before the film itself, the uh, poster for the film, you know, there's one where, you know, like, is it like meet his incredible new women or, you know, he's on an incredible new adventure. And it's got that classic kind of, it's that Hitchcock kind of style poster where he's sideways like that. He's, he's the... From since Doctor No, he's now a you know a poster boy. He's now a unrecognisable face. He is James Bond, just on the posters before audiences had probably seen the film, which is such an achievement in one film to have established that in Doctor No is remarkable. And then when you plant him in Istanbul in a grey suit, pursuing, stalking kind of you know characters, following them occasionally with sunglasses on, it's like this is incredible. When he gets when he gets the Thunderball. I think there are times there where I think he looks possibly his best as well. But this isn't anything swimsuit. I don't think we see much of Sean's body in this film as much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the suits. And if you think about that fight with uh, Grant, in fact, I think uh, Norman Wanstall might have mentioned it in the interview, that yeah. these men in suits fighting like this. Yeah, yeah. It's not two army men in army suits with bulletproof vests and a machine gun fighting. These are two men who are incredible fighters, but wearing suits. I think just Sean Connery absolutely nailed it in terms of his appearance. And obviously, we can't just give credit to Sean Connery for that. That's, you know, it's the costume designer, it's Terence Young, it's everything coming together, knowing that we've got him, let's frame him, let's give him everything here. But also, his acting, you know, it's, when 
He's um, opposing Grant in those scenes just by talking. Connery is magnificent. And he kind of, you get glimpses of that when in, when he's having his meal with Dr. No. You know, he's unafraid to make comments about Spectre. He's un, unafraid to call these criminals what they are. But just in this film, the way he deals with Grant, like I mentioned earlier, the threat that he feels even from Cleb at the end, even though she's physically far inferior to him, I think it's the talent to portray that. This relationship he has with Tatiana, you know, it's it's superb. And then we were just talking about Money Penny and Q and M. He becomes part of that family. He's, he's not a lone person, even though he's the central character. He is surrounded now by people who are with him for a long stretch. Kieran mentioned before about Felix being, you know, one of the most recognisable allies, which he is, but M, Money Penny, Q and Bond now, they are completely consistent. Felix, you know, they, they felt they could change the actor. They felt they could switch it around. I'm not sure, you know, why and whether it worked really, but when it comes to these, this central group of characters and Connery at the, at the centre of it, you don't want to change a thing. You don't want to change a thing. You only want to build them up more and more. And after From Russia Love, he, Connery is absolutely ready to roll and just so at ease in the part and he knows exactly what to do. He elevates every scene, doesn't he? So if he's having banter with Desmond Llewellyn, it's Sean Connery is raising the stakes with that and he's creating that environment. When he's flirting with Moneypenny, I mean, who else can do it as good as that? When he's with Tatiana, it's just the back and forth is done brilliantly. With Grant, that relationship. All it's, you know, it's not just the same tone throughout. He's got to be quite different, the different relationships. I think this is him cementing the the the, the persona, the, the role, the performance, all that. And it is like this is basically saying that Dr. No wasn't a one-off, you know, because because we you know, like he came into Dr. No with like so much confidence, so much presence, so much, you know, charisma. It's unbelievable. So then to step it up for this film and add more to his performance. And then it's like this is the launch pad to then, you know, the perform, you know, like Thunderbolt, you know, like golfing, all those kind of like where he just seems much more relaxed in terms of he absolutely embodies that character now. But he would, I was, ne- you know, when you watch him in Doctor No, you're never in doubt that this is a character, this is an actor who absolutely owns this performance. There's, there's no, you know, there's no doubt in that. But for, like I say, for, for, for him to, to add more nuance to add more vulnerability to add just just more to to that performance is 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 amazing and i think i put that down to the writing certainly but also down to terence young's direction you know that that, that you are able to believe that bond when he's on his knees and grant's got that gun pointer he is shitting himself essentially you know he he's thinking how how am i going to get out of this I, I you can see the cogs moving and and thinking like, well, shall I annoy him more? Shall I get him angry? Shall I? Will that be my way out? Actually, no. Maybe, maybe if I play it this way, and, and you can see he he goes from one end to the other, and that, that is so well done. So yeah, I think his performance in this film is 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 fantastic, and to see him, you know, like just add. I think you know there is a 
like I say, like with 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 Tatiana's performance, there's there are there's ambiguity to the to, to everything. It's not just everything's on the surface. I feel that, that Bond has his own like inner, you know, he has something going on in the background. It's not just this kind of you know, not everything's playing out. Yeah, I just I think it's a it's a great performance, and and it just cements him as a, not only as a great actor but as a, as an absolute movie star. I think it's a it's a brilliant performance. Here, do you think it's his best performance as Bond? Yeah, without shadow. For for me, Doctor No, obviously, brand new formula, brand new concept. That for me, he was finding his feet almost. He was establishing himself and a franchise in one. Whereas this film, he takes what he earned in the first film and capitalizes. I just think he is the complete package. I've actually got it on now. I had to put the film on just so I could oh, have brilliant. the background. And there's just Whereas Goldfinger firmly established him as Bond in the sense the complete deal, there's just something beautifully organic about his performance, I feel, in this film. And this is his best, in my opinion. I enjoy watching him in this film more than any other film. Doctor No as well, but those first two films are just beautiful to watch from his perspective. And again, the scene has just been on, you know, when he's walking through the airport at Istanbul. He walks through that airport and he just owns everything in that scene. If I could even have an essence of the charisma and charm that he has and the flamboyancy with which he walks, I'd be a very happy man. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm sure I don't even have a finger's worth, but uh, no, but he's it, 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 beautiful to watch in this film. And that may seem strange saying it about a male character, but just what he brings to this part, it is a joy to watch. The same way as for me in the later films with Roger, Again, just you can't take your eyes off him when he's on the screen, and that is the that's the charisma that he brings and the the, the talent. Because that's the other thing you forget how good an actor he was mm. in a lot of his movies, and especially in the scenes at the beginning when it's not Connery, well, well when it's not Bond, it's an imposter. The little yeah. mannerisms he adopts, which obviously are quite typically not Bond, but he's yeah. playing that part as someone pretending to be Bond. It is so yeah. many multifaceted layers and it's it's actually testament to his acting ability so this is my favorite and it's the one i will always hark back to when i'm you know praising his performance he owns the role he carries he carries the weight of the franchise and and everything that's that's sort of coming with it that's increasing and increasing with such effortlessness that it's it's a joy to behold really well you, we've said this before you can't underestimate the impact that he he had on everything you know if he wasn't cast right then we don't have a franchise we're not talking about it today and yeah after such a good performance in Doctor No to you know to follow it up with this um just shows just shows the quality of of actor and movie star that that he is yeah it, you know it, it is different when he gets diamonds are forever it's a slightly different <laughs> Connery portrayal of Bond but you know by then, we, we, you know, things have changed and, and everything. I'm a bit more forgiving of that that kind of thing. But in this, yeah, it was his favourite film that he was in. I'm, yeah. I don't know if it was his, therefore, his favourite performance of Bond. Oh, you know, what more can we say about the impact that Sean Connery has had and his performance in this? You know, as I say, it just really cements him as this incredible character to make this a, an incredible character of cinema, um, you know, to to take something that was um, a literary character and to bring that to life 
in such an iconic way is almost an almost an impossible feat and he was able to do it before i join you guys tonight i'm and i'm so sorry that i was late but i was on the beers with my dad and my brother both big bond fans and uh, my dad i said to him I said to my dad like look um if i can get back in time we're going to talk about from russia with love and he went to see it in the cinema um you know oh. in 63 and um it was like to him he said like I don't think anyone these days knows how seismic it was to go and see these in the cinema at the time. It was just so transformative. Like, so for Tom, for us, it would be like we're 12 going to watch Goldeneye at the cinema, give or take 12, 13. But you'd already had like, you know, bold action movie heroes and bold adventure heroes by that point. I'm thinking of like, well, John McClane and Indiana Jones and people like that, you know, that kind of stuff. In in '63, like this was just absolutely unheard of that someone could be this bold and 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 in control and cool and suave and wow, you know. He said it was seismic the impact yeah. of this movie on people of his age, which is exactly the precise age that I really, you know, I'd watched Bond for a long time, but like, I remember at like 11, 12, like suddenly just like the love creeping in and gripping me really hard. You imagine a Bond of this caliber being in the cinema at that time, like when yeah. we were 11, 12, like, wow. So yeah, just absolutely gigantic. The impact this had culturally at the time. Hi, it's John from Really 007, and I'm here to talk about From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. Happy 60th anniversary. And I've just got to say before I start, this is an unbelievable film. This is one of the very best films in the series, I'd say. Objectively speaking, it's one of the three best made Bond films. It's my favourite Sean Connery film. It's a film that I've loved ever since I've grown up. I, I've heard some people say that um, they've appreciated it as they've got older because maybe it was a bit slower, boring. That's never been my experience. Very clever. It's not just a great Bond film. It's a great film in British cinema. Uh, it's incredibly Hitchcockian. You can tell Terence Young's uh, influences. It's very reminiscent of North by Northwest, but it just so happens that I love Alfred Hitchcock. I adore North by Northwest and I adore From Russia With Love. And it's just a top film. So I'm just going to go through things of why I think it's a top film. And the first reason I'm going to say is Mr. Sean Connery. Uh, Sean Connery's best performance for me uh, the most spy-like. Um, it's like he had that spy aspect in Doctor No when he does a phenomenal job. This is like he's got that springboard, that confidence in him. He walks around like a panther throughout this film. The whole espionage stuff in Turkey, how he go, just makes stuff which is very, very run-of-the-mill in terms of just checking the walls for for bugs and those kind of things. Spy work, basic spy work, makes it so tense. He just oozes charisma, oozes class here. Another reason why I love this is I think this is a true Spectre film. If you had to uh, if you had to say who is the main villain in From Rush With Love, I think that's a really difficult question. I think that's probably the most, it's, I think this is the film where it's most difficult to pin who the main villain of the film is of all the Bond films. I probably go with Rosa Klebb, and I think 
she is frightening. <laughs> I mean, she is, she's perfectly cast. And but when you look at like Lottie Linear and her background and stuff, she's so far removed from that kind of Rosa Clegg character. But she is absolutely frightening in the role. And ultimately, she's she's the one who her death scene is the final scene in the film. It's like in terms of how her death made comes across a bit erotic at times let's say but then the overall mastermind of the film is Ernst Starrow Blofeld and I think it's the best Blofeld portrayal in the whole of the series I think the idea of just showing the cat and hearing them speak is far more creepy than any time we actually see Blofeld's face and far more creepy than any kind of confrontation between Bond and Blofeld for someone who had read the books when um, I was watching this film, I didn't have a clue who he was until watching the later ones. And it really struck me with fear, fantastic portrayal by uh, Anthony, Anthony Dawson and Eric Pullman. But to me, the big bad, the, 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 the masterstroke of the film is Donald Red Grant by my man, Robert Shaw. He is the, if you want to call him a henchman, he's the best henchman in the series. If that's what he is, he's the best henchman in the series. He's definitely working under orders, but he look, he's like an assassin trained for hire, isn't he? Uh, he's that first kind of dark side of Bond we get. Some of the shots we see when he's mirroring, following the um, following Bond on the Orient Express in the dark, absolutely fantastic. The scenes where he actually is portraying Nash and he's eating with Bond. There's such an eerie feel to it, such an uneasy feel that it's just brilliant. You know that it's going to just culminate in an epic battle and it really does. And the train scene is, the train fight, sorry, is still to this day the best fight in the Bond series for me. The claustrophobia of it, the ten, the, how Bond uses his wits initially to um, to actually set the fight off and not die. The sound design and the dubbing by Norman Wonstall and his team, sensational. I mean, it just you feel every single shot that has happened. And then you've got a quality um, punchline by Connery. Once he has hoisted Red Grant, with his own petard. I love the film. I think Tatiana is an underrated Bond girl. And it's a weird thing to say, but whenever you hear these things about who are the best Bond girls, she's never really mentioned. And yet she's stunning. She mirrors Bond in that she has no idea what's going on. She's um, she she's just been brought in to a, given a snippet of, the, of what's happening, but has no idea that she's a pawn in this far bigger operation. Just like Bond is, he does not know that this is a spectre, this is a spectre plot. I love the journey that she goes through, and I think you can definitely tell that place of where she starts with Mother Russia, and yet she finishes genuinely loving James. And I think that the the uh, perfect example of this is, is that it's her that kills Cleb at the end, and that's such an interesting character arc. You, you never see her realize that Cleb works for Spectre. Now, it may be that Bond told her, as far as we know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Club still works for Smirsh. Uh, that's what she thinks anyway. And yet she chooses to kill her as opposed to Bond, showing that uh, her allegiance to Bond is greater than her allegiance to her country. And and I love that touch. Karen Bay is one of the most charismatic allies in the whole series. Very much kind of sets the standard for those charismatic allies with moustaches like um, Columbo in For Your Eyes Only. Um, and maybe he doesn't have a moustache, but Tanaka in, in uh, You Only Live Twice, those absolutely top draw Bond allies. Love them all. I love the scenery of Istanbul. I mean, I, I don't think you can underestimate that this is a kind of Judith Chalmers wish you were here moment when you're seeing the scenes of uh, Istanbul and the Bosphorus and the uh, Hagia Sophia. Um, in the 60s, these wouldn't have been seen on telly. And it really is like a travel show for that. And it's absolutely beautiful. The film is elevated by John Barry's score. I, I, it's not one of my favorite Barry scores, but even so, it still elevates the film from the previous one. It has that Bondian feel, but it does have some great motifs. I love the Spectre motif. And it brings us the 007 theme tune. And I think sometimes I forget that that was written initially with this film and I just see it as an overriding thing, but it's first and foremost part of this score. And for that, it deserves to be given mass, mass credit. There's so much more I could talk about in this film. I'd just be rambling about how great it is. It's one of those films that me and my wife both love. And my wife doesn't really like that many Bond films, but I think it's just a clever film, really well made and 60 years what an achievement and yet to this day people can say technically it's a perfect film and that is testament to how great it is so happy anniversary from russia with love and we'll see you at 70 years yeah so we, we move on to the music and of course the first film was monty norman but without john barry even dr no the music the production that he did on the the theme and everything wouldn't have been as good i do think some of the the Monty Norman stuff's underrated. I mean, like un under the mango tree, it's his own composition. To be fair, so there's there's more than just the Bond theme and the odd bit of island music. Anyway, but to have John Barry, I mean, it's what an audition to arrange the Bond theme. To be fair, even still, he's not writing the theme song. You know, it's a Lionel Bart theme song, but it's the arrangement of that, the instrumental in the title sequence. How how many amazing pieces of music are in here? And while it might not be as iconic and memorable as Goldfinger would be and then Thunderball, 
we really do get the correct kind of music for this. We get Istanbul music, don't we, when when he's there in the gypsy camp. And then on the train, this every every style that he's got in his canon is just so talented. And I'll start with Chris, because I know John Barry, I mean, he, he must be, we mentioned Sean Connery, we mentioned Terence Young, but we're getting to the stage where can you even think about how but Bond, the first 10, say, what on earth would have happened without John Barry on any of them? I don't know. Yeah. I think this is, the, the like you're saying, that when you hear even the, the, the sort of opening scene, the, the score yeah. for the, as Red Grant is stalking Bond, yeah. it's just, it's so gripping, you know, and then to cut to, to the theme music. I think, you know, I, I the, the, and I've, I've, I've probably said this like half a dozen times on this podcast, but there is has there ever been a better, you know, kind of combination of of composer and source material? You know, like in terms of he is, he totally understands Bond, and I feel like that the filmmakers almost, you know, went the other way, where it's like, well, let's, I, I reckon, you know, I reckon Barry can lift this up. You know, like we'll leave it to John Barry to sort this scene out. Yeah. He'll make it dramatic. You know, and and one scene, in particular, no disrespect to John Glenn, is in a view to a kill with the the fire scene with <laughs> you know coming down. The the that is you know dramatically not uh, you know an amazing scene, but John Barry's score elevates it to like. Almost like I'm gonna cry thinking about it. <laughs> like oh. it is just an amazing piece of music for that scene, and I think, like I said, I cannot, I cannot underestimate just the the impact that Barry had, not only on on you know just just the 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 the, the series, and like I say, he just goes both both ways. And I love, I, I do love, I genuinely love when he isn't when he isn't there. I love, I do love the scores that are and the composers that come in. You know, and 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 try and do something different. I think obviously, you know, living like die is it, it, for me is very high up. You know, on that on that. But uh, yeah, John Barry. You know, I don't I don't throw that word around lightly. But an absolute genius. You know, not only in Bond, but just within you know, the music that he composed for TV and other films. But just the music he composed in general. You know, the, the music he actually released is just. Another level of 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 just a beauty and lushness and just stuff that is that you expect from from him. I I think he is a composer, you know, par bar none. His you know to hear him go from like early jazz to then just that lush strings later on in his career is just I I can't say more. I think I think he's yeah. Like I say his impact on the series is amazing, and I, I just is not a it's hard to say it's like I want to say it's not a Bond film unless it's got a John Barry score but because that's not true because obviously we had Dr. No and we've had other films that obviously obviously that I love that don't have his score but every composer post you know uh, from Russia with Love is going what would John Barry do here and how can I either do something completely different or can I interpret what he would have done in that time period and that for me is just like, yeah, amazing. And it's just so listenable. Everything is yeah. so gorgeous to listen to on its own. Then when you put it in the film, it's even better. 
And it's interesting how he has a, he does have a style. So if yeah. you were to hear a music, you weren't sure whether you know people <laughs> yeah. not heard before. You'd 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 be able to tell it's John Barry, but it would be different. Is just absolutely a huge part of the franchise's success. And just like everything else, he evolves. He he stays within the formula, but he tinkers with it. He adapts his scores to suit the location. You mentioned Moonraker being lush, but goodness me, Man with the Golden Gun yeah, gets yeah. some really lush bits in that. Um, but for this from Russia with Love, you know, it's it's like bongos, and it's not it's not so much strings. It's it's pretty different to what he ends up. You know, the the journey of Barry and Bond, where he ends up and where he starts, is pretty spot. You know, it's very different to one another, but it's it's still adding texture to the Bond character. And really, more so than Dr. No, he is, even though there are good things in Dr. No, and even though I don't think this is John Barry's most complete Bond score, John Barry definitely adds, he definitely kicks off something here, where obviously it's the Bond theme and bongos and things like that, Um, but also tension, like Kieran's mentioned in that opening scene, and credit to, like, the sound people maybe normal monsters as well when not to use music like on the train fight, but we even get the double seven thing, don't we? Yes, and, first time. And actually. yeah, in the gypsy, you know, in the, that big battle, and I've <laughs> I've shared my views on the double seven theme, and it's an you know it's an interesting one. I I'm up and down with it. I do think this is pretty good use because I I said before that I always think the double seven theme is quite western, like John yeah, Barry's yeah. western music that he does and it suits this gypsy shootout that's like it's like um it's like a shoot a a western shootout at a fort or a fortress or something like that it it, it does feel like that it's not his most complete bond score but it's a significant step and again i'm a bit like with money penny you know with mac lois maxwell burnley with all these people i'm so glad that they stuck with them I'm so glad that they kept them and they gave them the chance to reappear, to recur and develop. And it's crucial because it builds it builds something incredible and the confidence that they build together is magnificent. Here, and we had the pleasure, didn't we, recently of going to the CUNY Music comeback concert in London. And they did a suite of From Russia With Love. And it was, you know, you very rarely get to hear that live for a start. And... In the 60th anniversary, that was it's just spellbinding, wasn't it? That music it was incredibly special. As a lover of film music all my life, yeah, I've always enjoyed Barry's contribution. If it wasn't for Barry, these films would not be as successful. I'm going to make that statement as boldly as I can. They bring spice, they bring flavor, they bring color. Every when you think of Bond music, it's just so vibrant and beautiful. How do I put this? Barry certainly tickles my Tchaikovsky. That's that's for <laughs> the thing about film composers with classical composers, whether it be you know 17th, 18th century, going right through to the modern composers of today. The sign of a great composer is to produce something entirely different but still maintain that sound, and that's exactly what Barry did throughout his tenure. Every time you hear Barry, that's John Barry. But every single one of his themes for this film franchise is totally different. And that is his skill and craftsmanship. If it wasn't for Barry, then 
you know, I don't think the films would have been as successful as they were. It's interesting also because I was having this conversation with Bob at Q, the music as well. It would have been so interesting to hear what Barry would have brought to Bond if he'd have composed Goldeneye or Tomorrow Never Dies oh. in a 90s setting. Can you not trying to do disservice to David Arnold? Oh, yeah, well, but can you imagine Goldeneye with that wonderful orchestra, just that Barry orchestra and that Barry sound? It would have been sublime. But yeah. that's a what if conversation for another day. But for me, um, Barry's one of the highlights of this film and the franchise in general. And uh, I, I adore his music. It is simply sublime. I'm sure you agree, Rob. Uh, do I agree? I mean, goodness me! I think I think Barry's sound, and I, I, I would admit also to being sort of slow on the uptake at times. With in the past about you know when I was sort of developing my love of Bond, I just assumed it was all Barry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, mm. um, that's how significant his stamp on James Bond and the fabric of James Bond is. Fabric is a word that we keep using it all the time. Yeah. Actually, it's actually a word I keep using it as well um, because I think it's so so important. I think it's because this is this is not just one movie. It's not just two movies. It's not just one soundtrack. It's not just one you know, example of cinematography. The the fabric of Bond is this one massive tapestry of this franchise. John Barry's imprint on this is one of the key imprints. These are the fingerprints of James Bond are right there. And John Barry, there is no... I, honestly, I think he's one of the forefathers of what we think of James Bond now is John Barry. And and while we're on it, the song, Rob. Greatness. Uh, also love Ray Quinn's version. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Did we, we, did we do that on an episode on the song? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if you could, if you could clatter out uh, a very good version of "From Russia with Love" in a pub in Liverpool, you have my approval. <laughs> uh, so yeah, awesome. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a classic song. It's so smooth. It's brilliant. Smooth. Uh, the, I think, like you know, like if you were to be tasked, you know, like mallets, mallet. And you were given like word association games, yeah. like so. Uh, Spy who loved me, you know, and you had to come yeah. up with one word for, for <laughs> from Russia with love. It would be smooth, mm. yeah. But then I'd be one to be smooth and formative, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then I would try and push the envelope. No, this is all of this, and I think I think like all of this, all of these building blocks at this point in the franchise's history are so vital. And and lend itself and and provide sustenance foundation for everything that com- that is to come. Seriously, uh, you know, Bond doesn't feel the same. Bond in the eighties doesn't feel the same if it weren't for the song that you know weren't for from Russian with love. It just doesn't. None of it. And I, I don't mean the song. I just mean the entire package. Everything is part of the great big cohesive whole. This is our first title song, which is interesting, uh, and obviously a big. You know, a big thing, a big part of the films going forward that, you know, when there's whenever there's a new Bond film released now, well, who's doing the who's doing the song for it? And, who, you know, so this was the first one of those. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really it's it's a it's a good tune. It's um, beautifully performed, not one of my absolute personal favorites. And I think I would say that I prefer it in the opening titles when it's an instrumental and John Barry's had his hands on it. Once you get to Goldfinger, I think it steps up a bit and, and you have the composer of the films and that composer being John Barry writing the theme, which is a massive step. And so that you can incorporate those themes, even though we do get some of the themes in in 
you know, we get instrumental love from Shred Love in the film. But I just don't think I don't think it hits as hard as as you know, once he's in control of that as well. But yeah, the music in the film is is absolutely gorgeous. Um it's got it's it's quite um it's quite tense at times. It it certainly adds to the tension, builds that up. And yeah, uh, you know, we mentioned the the Spectre theme, which is good and scary. The ability to for him to do eleven scores, is that right? And for yep. them to sound yep. sound different and have different melodies in each one is amazing. And you know that 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 does you know it, it does change, but it changes from from Rush with Love to Goldfinger. It changes from Goldfinger to Thunderball. And for him to be able to provide this beautiful accompanying sound to these films is absolutely, I mean, it's its wonderful for us and it's wonderful for us to, to listen to the soundtracks, for cue the music, to, to be able to keep these scores alive in a, you know, in a, in a, in, in an arena in, you know, in front of a live audience, um, which is wonderful. And it's so good that they do that. And they add so much to the films and to the to, to the whole franchise that you know I've I, I feel like I've said this about every aspect they've asked me about, but it cannot be understated. <laughs> <laughs> the song from Russia we love, Chris. It's is it quite? Is it one of the more Chris ones or less? Or no, I, I I love it. I think it's a great it's a great theme. It's 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 classic era, era like early. Connery, it's it's just yeah. it doesn't have the like say the um, you know, the get up and go that you know like Goldfinger has. It, it's like the beginning of that lush sort of like say the Matt Monroe kind of you know kind of crooner yes. vibe to it. I think works w- well, and obviously you want to hear that version at the end. Yeah. In the beginning, you have that you know the instrumental version. So, but no, I I I, I really I, I really love it, and I, I like some of the uh, the cover versions as well. I think there's some some interesting ones. Don't know about. I've not quite listened to Republicans yet, but uh, I think <laughs> yes, no, the covers. one the one that's on the David Arnold one I always quite yeah. like. Natasha Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's me. I'm It's up there. Bloody Smile for Me, Octopus and Goldeneye for best Bond films set or have a Cold War setting. But why is that? Well, for me, it's mainly due to Connery. Connery was magnificent in promotion of And the fact this film is 60 years old surprises me because... Yet again, Connery was great in the role. While many call Goldfinger his best performance, I call it from the show love. Because you bloody see greatness in the role. Not just from Connery, but with most of the cast. Robert Shaw is great. But when you think of the show of love, what do you think of? There's one main thing. The train sequence. Possibly one of the greatest train sequences in Bond history, in fact, or the best. Of course, you've got bloody Karim Bay as a great ally to Bond, which is bloody top three for me. There's many aspects of what I love about From Russia of Love. I don't know why, but I love that the film starts with Spectre, not Bond, because 
don't know why. Overall, From Russia With Love is a very, very solid Cold War Bond film. Up there with greats as The Living Daylight, Smile of Me, Octopussy, Golden Eye, and many others. Uh, in any film with the Cold War is definitely one of the best. Signing off, Mr. Glimmer 007. Hey guys, so From Russia With Love. I have the t-shirt on, thought it was appropriate. So. From Rush With Love is definitely up there as a favourite Bond movie of mine. I just think I've always loved the Cold War tension of it and it's very, for me, it has a lot of Hitchcockian vibes to it. And, you know, Sean Connery is amazing. It's Sean Connery. Daniel Bianchi is, Tanya is lovely. And I say the scene where they meet is pretty iconic. Rosa Clapp definitely had air kicks. Red Grant, one of the best henchmen slash well villains the fight on the Orient express is probably one of the best i would say john barry's score is fantastic so i definitely have a lot of love for from rush with love definitely top tier bond in my eyes and happy anniversary to it and thank you for let me take part in this guys you're the best hi there it's patch wow 60 years since from russia with love came out well to celebrate, I just wanted to share a few thoughts. The pre-title sequence is my favourite of the ones to not feature Bond, or at least the real one, because it's so spookily effective. That's thanks to the nighttime setting and Barry's fantastic stalking track. And plus, it's just such a good introduction to Red Grant, isn't it? Speaking of John Barry, he does an excellent job with his first score for the series. While it isn't my favourite of his, it's still fascinating when revisiting this film to see all the little cues and musical styles that Barry, as well as other composers inspired by him, would go on to reuse and adapt in future scores as the series went along. If I had to pick a favourite track, it would probably be Meeting in Saint Sophia. The way it conveys the dramatic importance of the scene, whilst also fitting the feel of the location, is magnificent and it proves that Barry knew what he was doing from day one. So what's my favourite scene? Well, aside from the obviously brilliant fight on the train, I'd go for the sniper sequence, where Kerim finally gets to kill Krylenko. It leads to one of my favourite Bond one-liners of the series, after all. She should have kept her mouth shut. So there's a few changes made in the film to the story from Fleming's book, which I believe improves the overall experience. Firstly, changing the way by which Bond outsmarts Grant before their fight. In the novel, Bond puts his cigarette case inside a book to save him when Grant fires into his heart, but in the film, he uses his booby-trapped briefcase to trick Grant. That way, fans of the novel who may be seeing the film adaptation for the first time get a little bit of extra suspense. Secondly, Wrapping up Tatiana's story rather than her being abruptly sidelined, as she was at the end of the novel. You know, because although she presumably still doesn't know that Cleb is with Spectre, the fact that she shoots her implies that she's chosen to truly defect over to the West, rather than betray Bond and embrace Soviet communism again. And thirdly, this therefore allows for a happier and therefore more suitable ending for the film, without the novel's cliffhanger, 
where Bond does get stabbed by Kleb. But in general, I would say that one of the film's greatest strengths is that it is otherwise largely faithful to Fleming's novel, which I'm confident in saying is often ranked as one of his best. Everything that works so well there is here and accounted for, just with the enhancements that I mentioned. It's like with On a Majesty's Secret Service in that respect, where even Peter Hunt admitted in the making of documentary that he didn't need to change too much about the story. I wouldn't, though, hesitate to argue that it's the combination of Terence Young, with how well he casted for the film, thereby enhancing the character drama scenes he has to direct, and Peter Hunt for wrestling with all the material to try and improve the pacing, which ultimately made the film a great success. Without one or the other, I doubt it would have been quite the same. The point is, it's easy to see why Terence Young and Sean Connery both considered it their favourite Bond film. And even as a fan who's more into the fantastical escapist Bond films, I would never deny that this is one of the finest Cold War spy thrillers of the series. With its tone and style, it paved the way for other fantastic Bond films which followed a similar pattern, such as The Living Daylights and Casino Royale. So happy 60th from Russia With Love! There is so much of the Bond canon that is part of the great big miasma of love I have for Bond, which I can't separate. You know, I've got my absolute favourites, I've got the ones that I don't care so much for, um, and then in the middle, I've got so many I absolutely flipping love that I can't separate. And um, from Russia with love, if I'm completely honest, is in that bracket. But I'm talking about a, a, like a pocket of films which um, are so so much better and so much uh, that I have so much more love for than nearly any other film on the planet. You know, like because of my predilection for Bond. So yeah. it, it, it's like this is so highly thought of. This is so highly thought of. Um, if I were to talk about the film as a whole, yeah, I think it's it's like an absolute um, totem pole release. <laughs> that sounds so sexual, I didn't mean it. Um, it's like, it, it's a complete... <laughs> pillar. Pillar was what I was talking about. I think this is a pillar of Bond, uh, which informs everything that has gone on at the time and since. I think it's so important to the history of Bond um, from Russia with Love. I think I, I just don't think you will ever find a man who is cooler on screen in any film before or since than Sean Connery in this film. And if you can find one, I'd like to see it because I don't think there is one. This is the perfect marriage of actor and character, uh, perfect marriage of production with uh, property. And they carried forth the legacy of James Bond with absolute aplomb but i did i think they did it bravely i think they could have gone yeah. lazily yeah. with this yeah. i think they did it with bravery and i think they made james bond far cooler by do going this way that they did and making it slight more downbeat than going full goldfinger on yeah. the second outing um and i think this sets the hooks you know like in fishing you have this thing where you set the hook and as soon as they've got it in their mouths the fish have got it in their mouths you pull it you set the hook our hooks are set we're in 
This is it. This is it. And I think From Russia With Love does it. This is just staggering filmmaking. It's a movie star being a movie star in ways that we just do not have anymore. There's just, you can't whack this. Come on. Everyone, you know, like, come on. This is just elite filmmaking 60 years ago that still resonates today. And that's art. You don't hear many people like, oh, my hot take is I don't think From Russia With Love is very good, do you? You don't, you might get that. You get with Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, brackets. Yeah. Oh, it's not so good, is yeah. it, after all? Oh, yeah. men's. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, from Russia, it seems immune from that so far that I've no. heard, thankfully. Too good, too good. Yeah. Does anyone else shout, you know, like, when you want something to happen and it doesn't happen immediately, does anyone else go... Ali Karembe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if I go to the fridge and we've run out of beer and like we're so close to having a happy moment, but Ali Karembe. Yeah, please be just <laughs> yeah. Ali Karembe. It is that persistent asking, isn't it? Oh, so <laughs> lovely. very patient, to be fair. Yeah, greatness. And she, is she, she is the girl in Goldfinger in the... Oh, she is. Yeah, the, the oh, sequence the, where the guy ends up in the bath. Yeah. Not, yeah. In fact, I've managed to bring up can you remember when we when we started, maybe like three years ago, we did rankings, didn't we? Where where do you think From Russia with Love was out of twenty four? Well, out of twenty five, I can I can fairly <laughs> safely say. <laughs> do, do you think it was top half? I think it may have been number one. Oh right, let's have a look. Oh, well, no, number one or two, maybe. It was What's quite it high. Between? I think it was four, Chris, for you. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it's it still... was number four then. What's, um, what's Chris's top four? What? Uh, yeah, that's I, this is now what I want to know. I, I mean, it changes all the time, doesn't it? But I'm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Matthew, you get... Daylights? Yeah, Louis yeah. Daylights will be in there. Majesty's was his number one, but I think. Man with the Golden Gun back then might not have been, but <laughs> no, it might be top. Doctor <laughs> <laughs> mm. No, maybe? I don't know. Yes, I think it. you're absolutely right. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Number two Beautiful. was Dr. No. Mm-hmm. Then I think, let's have a look. Honor Majesty's was number three. So number one was, yeah, number one was Living Daylights. And then all the other five of us named License to Kill as number one. So don't yeah. but, but no, from, anyway, from Russia with Love, for everybody, it was in the top half. It was, I think, eighth overall. Mm. So in, in a world where the Glen, we're obsessed in the Glens, eighth is a pretty, pretty high position to be in isn't it why do you love it so much Chris I I, I love it because it feels like a proper grown up spy film and it is the beginning of like I say not 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 to to, to discredit Doctor No because that is the beginning of everything but it felt like From Russia With Love is like the beginning of the series as opposed to an adaptation of of that Mm. book so this was this, this started it I think as a as a, as a franchise, and I think I I just love it because it is you are getting all the, the everything that you love. You're getting you know 
you know, like I say, the, the actors, the characters, the plot points, the, you know, the formula, but also you kept on your toes with, you know, Bond being killed in the opening, but it's not Bond, you know, the music, you know, the, the format just changes a little bit. Now we've got like a basically a musical number over the credits. Oh, what, what, you know, what's this? Connery, like I say, is just, you know, brilliant in this film. The, the acting across, you know, all the characters across everything is just superb. And I think that's down to the casting. I think it's down to the script. I think it's, you know, just down to the, just the production as a whole that, that there is a, there, there is a confidence coming off Dr. No that we have, we've, we are, cre- we are shaping something that is really special. And I feel and that does come across, you know, that there is that confidence of we can do something that is part of the series, but we're going to kind of, you know, we're not, we're not a slave to the material. We can we can create our own thing. And, yeah, I think as, as, as a film, like I said, it has a really strong narrative. The direction is, you know, top notch acting, you know, Barry, everything. It just all falls into place here for me. It is it is such a brilliant film, and every time I go back to it, I find I find more and more that I love. It's such a strange, you know. It's not. It's but you know, I'll admit it isn't the one that you go back to. It's like oh well, it's a you know, it's a rainy su- Sunday afternoon. What do I want? You know, or a bank holiday? Actually, maybe might be Moonraker. Actually, is what I want, or a man with a golden gun. But every time I actually think, actually, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna invest a bit of time in this. It is. Uh, you know, a, a, such a, a rewarding watch, and 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 that's the thing. Like with Doctor No, you think, oh, Doctor No is, you know, <laughs> I was a kid, like going, oh, that's the boring one, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, I'll 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 return to it every now and then just to make sure, you know, just to to keep my sort of um, <laughs> credentials. You know, <laughs> and I think that, but then actually, you put it on, I think this is I absolutely love this. I, you know, I love it, you know, and yeah, but yeah. You know, from Russia with Love is is a special film and yeah, definitely top tier and, and forever will be. I think it's just every everyone is firing on all cylinders in this. My favourite Connery performance. I think it's his best. It's, it's my favourite. I would say it's Connery's not his definitive outing. I think that's the next one for Goldfinger. But just in terms of how good he is and all the other elements that we've discussed tonight, um, it ranks, I would certainly say, probably in my top six Bond movies. I, I, without you know, looking at the list and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't. I'm not sure where it would fit. But for me, out of Connery's tenure, it is it is by far my favourite and the best. Love this film. I mean, obviously, again, favourite scenes. I'd have to probably say the opening sequence, just because it harks back to my childhood and obviously the very first glimpse. That, I mean, that's sentimental. I mean, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't be on this journey yeah. if, if it hadn't have been for that moment, probably. And it's set up for everything else to come. So. Now, this film holds a very special place in my heart and may it rain for another 60 years and beyond. Yeah. It's, I mean, it has aged well, hasn't it? You, you can't deny mm. that, that it still feels so classic. And... It does. And even some of the, you know, this, we'll say CGI, some of the backlit scenes, yeah. back projection, is really quite good. I mean, especially with the helicopter, you know, some of those scenes are, are fairly convincing. And when they're driving in the vehicle, in the florist's vehicle, trying to get away... It's uh, it 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 is of its time, but it stands the test of time very well. Maybe not the final. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that was pretty much a washout, quite literally. Yeah. Um... Gents, behave yourself. We are being filmed. 
not again. He was right, you know. What is it? I'll show you. Faces and smile for a moment. But oh, it does the end, doesn't it? It does actually say the end. Mm. It does. It, say, it says the end, but then it says not quite the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> then yeah, you've got it does, the... yeah. Oh, yeah. And so then you not in keeping um, with I believe it's the one of the in Thunderball maybe as well. It's but it's certainly one of the only Bond films where you've got a question mark for both. Mm. Yeah, quite, quite yeah, was that? Mm. And um, it's the first Bond film which says James Bond will return. Yeah. Mm. Did he? It's such a brilliant entry to the series. It coming second is also crucial, like we've talked about, and revisiting the films, like I kind of spoke about at the start of this episode. At this stage of my life and this stage of my journey with Bond, it's really gone up my rankings. It'll probably be up there. It's not my f- most enjoyable watch, perhaps, but it's the most, you know, Chris used the word uh, rewarding. It's You get so much out of it. And I think within the series, there are a few where you can start to use the word masterpiece Yeah, uh, with it. And you know, I you know, I can accept, even though it's not to my personal taste and the things that I object to, I can I can even accept people say that about Casino Royale in some ways, in terms of uh, how you know how well it's made. I can't accept when people talk about No Time to Die being a masterpiece. I think that might have fizzled out now. And the reason why No Time to Die is not a masterpiece, and that's not the that's not the thrust of what I'm saying. The reason No Time to Die is not a masterpiece, and this is, is because it is so unbelievably airtight it is so together everything matches everything fits from the characters to the story the music the director the direction from terence young in terms of the action all the dialogue um and it doesn't pull any uh, there's no errors there's no mistakes i yeah. wouldn't say there's no missteps at all and it's not through playing it safe at all this film has got We've talked about the way it's got confidence, the way that opening that Kieran, you know, that's stayed with Kieran, that is bold. It's got big balls. It's it's brave and <laughs> like the you know the stuff we've talked about with how women feature in this film. Absolutely, you know, big steps they're taking. It was bold, and yet it was airtight. That you know, there's no plot holes, there's no silly thematic choices with characters or anything like that is solid and that's why i think you can argue that it's a masterpiece because everything has come together and fits together so well the other reason it's kind of excited me recently is because again i, I do think it will should be one of the blueprints for yeah. where bond should go next so when you watch it now you are thinking yeah come on let's you know let's observe this what is it that this film's getting so right i've got so much love for what they're doing here with from russia love what is it and what can we use from this for the next Bond? Because, you know, I absolutely love A View to a Kill. And, you know, I absolutely love Moonraker. I get loads of enjoyment from The Man with the Golden Gun. You know, I even get some enjoyment from Die Another Day and all that, all those things. But I know they're not going to look at those films for Bond 26, really. They might look to elements from it. And I think, you know, in terms of the escapism, the fun, I think they should. But... <clears throat> When it's uh, when we're thinking about what in, what 
works for Bond, what sets it off on the right path from Russia with Love is such a go-to film. And even if it's not your favourite, it's one that you can enjoy studying and it's one that you can really admire. And, and I think Connery as James Bond, absolutely a stunning performance that's, it's not showy at all. Um, it's it's him in the groove completely. And he has absolutely nailed it. There's uh, there's so much you could say about it, but I just think it, it gets everything right pretty much. Without necessarily being my number one favourite, it gets absolutely everything right. And it doesn't do anything that I dislike either. Um, it's an absolute triumph. I can't think of any, you know, oh, yeah, I just wish they'd do that differently or that section isn't as good or anything. Mm. Every single decision they've made in there is perfect, really. Yeah. It's not, if it isn't your favourite, it's just because you love others more. It's not because of anything. that. If yeah. you're telling this story and adapting the book, you cannot do it any better. So I think that's why it's so 60 years on, it's so oh, yeah, sixty big. years on. And yeah. Cubby, he's he always says, doesn't he, when they try and when they're starting a new production on a new film, they're like, "Let's go back to From Russia with Love." That was the one that worked the best. We did that the best. Ooh. But then he always says, "We never end up. <laughs> we we get off somewhere." <laughs> yeah. Not that you know is in a bad way, but it's very hard to sort of stick. That's the right thing. That's blueprint. you know I've talked about using From Russia with Love as a blueprint. I don't mean copying it or pastiching. No. Just getting back to what the heart of it. What's the roots? What works? And then, as they did end up doing with all the others, go in a slightly different direction. Once you've got those foundations right, take it in a different direction. I've, I've remembered actually one thing that that we've complained about is Chris. You know, in the in the bedroom, the the whole bomb theme is played while he's sort of just looking for bugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if that's your only complaint, right? I know, I know, <laughs> it is a masterpiece. Such a brilliant film in so many ways. You know, something which Harry's been keen on talking about is the fact that you know it's so good the doctor you know doc to go from doctor no to this it just shows that whilst there are as christopher nolan said you know constraints about a bond film you do have a lot of you know that that it's a big thing to go from doctor no like in jamaica in such an exotic setting and everything and the way that that story pans out to this, like a completely different, completely different setting, completely different set of characters. So you've got freedom to just put Bond in these scenarios and then, you know, like working within the parameters, but you've got you've got plenty of freedom. And it's just amazing that you can go from within the space of a year, you know, that they're able that yeah. they were able to make such a brilliant second film. And, you know, if the second film's not as good, you might be in trouble. You might not be able to get a third made, um, certainly not with a, bu a budget, you know, that the that, that Goldfinger had and, and everything. So it really was crucial that this was a brilliant follow-up to Dr. No, and it certainly was that. It it put in place even more firm, brilliant foundations for the franchise going ahead, created iconic characters, iconic performances, some of which possibly have never been bettered. Yeah, it really is a film that I think is revered, uh, quite rightly so. It's quite mental to think that, so it's 60 years old, 60 years before this film's release was 1903. Oh, yeah. Unreal perspective, man. It's amazing that we can put a film that's 60 years old, 60 years old on and just be, you know, absolutely, yeah. 
you know, completely captivated by it and and just be able to appreciate it and for it to not, you know, constantly feel like, oh, this is an old boring film or anything like <laughs> yeah. that, to just be loving it and appreciating it and and taken away with it. So it's 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 a tremendous film. I think particularly when we saw it at the cinema for the 60th anniversary of Bond, so mm. in 2022, Dr. No just lit up on the screen and that did feel probably the most that and Thunderball felt the most cinematic of the the early ones I, well you only live twice as well but in terms of they were elevated massively by having them on the cinema from Russia with Love I just thought watching this on a massive screen you know with a captive audience everyone's silent you're just there concentrating on it because I'm it, how many times do you try and watch a Bond film? You get interrupted, don't you? Or you take a break or anything. It's very rare that we've actually sat down in silence for two hours and watched a Bond film. And I thought... Well, any film, any, any film. film. Yeah, well... You, how you, hard is it to watch a single film, you know? Yeah. yeah. Even in the cinema, though. there's some turnip wandering around with a cooked dinner. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because it was just Bond fans, basically, we were, we were treated to a, a well-behaved audience. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, just watching it then in one go, treating it as one lovely big story with a beginning, middle and end, I think that brought my love for it up even more. So, I mean, I don't know where I'd I'd rank it these days. I haven't a clue, really. It's one of those where every time you see it, you're like, goodness me, is that that's amazing, isn't it? But then I'll watch, like, watch Golfing the other day. Oh, my word, this is... This, you can't you can't fault all the, any of these films in my eyes, and they're so different, like Harry says, that to go from Jamaica to then go back to sort of the Eastern Europe, then golfing, you're going to the Alps, you're going to Miami, you know, you can't, it's just exactly what we want. And I think the success of Bonds are not, let's create an arc for a few films and work around it. Each film is completely individual and it's complete universe in itself. And you only need a few of the building blocks, like we've said, behind the scenes, like John Barry, Terence Young, the writers, Dick Maybaum, you know, never mentioned him. But then you add Money Penny, M and Q, and you've got that glue that holds it together. But I think it I think it does in the end come down to Sean, this film, I have to say. I think it's just a ridiculously good performance. He's in great shape, he's really charming. Everyone he encounters, he's got great chemistry with. And He's like, like Rob said, he's, has you ever seen anyone cooler in your life? Have you ever seen anyone who you want to be more than Sean Connery in this film? And it's just too per- much. perfect physique, the perfect charm, the perfect humour. Happy birthday from Russia with Love. Well, I think you guys are happy. We should sign off by describing this film in one word. How would that yes. be? Well, do, you want, do you want to go first, Kieran, or do you want to go last? Why not? Why not? Definitive. Oh. Oof. Oh. Charming. Charming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's going to want to say greatness, but we'll... <laughs> Sublime. You muted, Harry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, monumental, probably. Monumental. Formative. Formative, yeah. Yeah, I was going to go for some espionage, but it's not really descriptive. <laughs> Uh, spy, spy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, Storm. good, Movie. good, good, yeah, very, no award, very good, yeah, quite good, yeah, quite good, effortless, effortless. Oh, oh, 
Thank you very yeah. much, guys. How good is this film? How good is James Bond? Yeah. Peace and love. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.